Um, so what we should go ahead, Mike. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I was just saying that we should uh, be live in the upcoming seconds. Uh, but but please, uh, what so nothing, would you like nothing to, weird to say? right now? Basically, we shouldn't do anything weird. Yeah, in no, weird at this moment, at this moment, this is the, the the crucial time to do something weird before we go live. <laughs> got it. Got it. Okay. <laughs> Bad jokes, you know. Are you opening an engineering office in Tel Aviv? Um, no, so we're actually, we actually started out in New York, but all three factors are Israeli. Uh -huh. um, and then uh, we recently uh, closed uh, another uh, $16 million round and we needed to understand where we're expanding. And there's basically an engineering crisis everywhere. Yep. Uh, but the engineering crisis of New York, we already knew. Uh, so we said, let's try something new. Uh, so we're doing everything there, marketing, engineering. It's just like a whole new office. Nice. Very nice. And we are live. Yeah. I believe we are yeah. live. So all the stuff that we just did, you know, we can we can just let that to the lace. Nobody saw that, right? They just got a tail end of it. Well, Mike, why don't you start us off and kick off the show for us? Absolutely. So uh, first of all, Welcome everybody, uh, wherever you are, and welcome to the Skill Up Heroes. So just a quick message. Usually, as you know, it's always the host uh, who kicks off the, the show. I just wanted to say uh, thank you uh, to Randy Cantrell, who has been doing an incredible job in the last 20 episodes and who kick-started this podcast, Skill Up Heroes. And I'm, I'm very honored to, to announce that uh, Ryan Folland is now the, the host of the Scale Up Heroes. Um, Ryan Fallen is based in Los Angeles and um, is managing partner at Influence Tree. Uh, think about him as the black belt of personal branding. So he'll be completely amazed uh, with his dynamism. <laughs> and Ryan, I pass the word to you as you do it much better than myself. <laughs> well, thank you, sir. I'm, I'm excited to be here. And for, for this type of an opportunity to literally talk with heroes, superheroes, essentially, who are around the world coming together to help share their knowledge. And that's why it's called the Scale Up Heroes. And the idea is to take the best minds who have the real world experience that are taking on the odds to fight whatever crime it is that is the problem that they're solving. And even though these gentlemen today, they are not wearing their capes, I guarantee it's in the top drawer or somewhere near because they're flying around the world, creating solutions to some real problems. So we're going to spend some time today digging into questions that selfishly for everybody listening is going to fast track their startup growth and their scale up growth because we all know <laughs> more money, more problems, but we're here to talk about how to solve that. So I'd like to thank all of our viewers here live. Hello on Facebook. Make sure to engage and interact uh, as well as we've got Paul Rivera and Yali Sar. So I'll let you guys do your little intro and some backdrop, let everybody know. And then we're going to dive into some questions that Miguel has uh, also known as Mike and we'll kick it off. So Paul, why don't we start with you? Uh, sure. So, um, hi everyone. My name is Paul Rivera. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Caliber. Uh, Caliber is a recruitment uh, platform uh, in Southeast Asia. We operate a recruitment platform, a, essentially a talent marketplace uh, that focuses on uh, white collar uh, skilled workers in cities like Manila and Jakarta, as well as both the local regional 
and global employers that want uh, to tap that talent pool. I started Caliber uh, in 2013 uh, in Manila as a result of uh, being a frustrated employer myself. I was scaling and growing my first business in the Philippines, which was an outsourcing company. And it was while building and scaling that business that I saw firsthand how challenging it was to recruit uh, great people and how frustrating it was for great people to find and discover uh, relevant work. Uh, so Caliber uh, is a kind of the creation and, and the result of, of being an employer and an HR professional myself uh, for a few years. We should uh, definitely start using you uh, soon. Yeah, uh, that's what I was asking. <laughs> I'm uh, Yali. Uh, I'm uh, one of the co-founders and the CEO of uh, Taylor Brands. Uh, Taylor Brands is basically an automated branding services. Uh, we use machine learning to teach computers how to design, write copy, automate your social feeds. Today, uh, we have over 7 million users, uh, businesses using the platform. Um, and um, we raised uh, roughly $21 million to date. Uh, and we're located in New York and Tel Aviv. Awesome. Thank you so much for, for the intros and congratulations guys for what you've been doing. And the topic today is scaling up uh, in the shoes of the, of the CEO. And that's why we have Paul and Yali with us today. And yeah, we, we agreed uh, some topics to discuss today. Uh, just a quick overview going from a founding team to a leadership team. Uh, how do we keep structuring the org chart as we grow, um, talking a little bit about the culture of accountability and how you, you, you assure that your team uh, is aligned. We will talk a little bit about cash, and uh, I think that's more than enough to, to cover in 30, 35 minutes uh, of our conversation. So starting with, with, the, first, um, with the first point, uh, uh, you know, when you were the, the, the founders in the business, uh, I'm not sure how many founders do you have, Paul, on your business? I have one co-founder. Uh, Dexter is my co-founder. One. There's yes. two. And, and in your case, Yali? Uh, I have two co-founders, Tom and Adav. Got it. So I'm sure that in the beginning it was quite simple, especially until the, the 10 employees to keep all in touch. Uh, but as the business grows, to keep every, every, everyone in place, uh, you needed to start building your leadership team. How difficult uh, it was to transition from the founding team to the leadership team. And Yali, maybe we start now uh, with you. How was your experience uh, going from 10 people? How many people do you have now? Uh, today we have uh, 50 people. All right. So how, how is it going? Uh, <laughs> um, I think that, you know, one of the, there are two, two main things that I always feel that, you know, are issues when you're growing. We had, we had this with this uh, kind of notion when we uh, grew from three people to seven, then from seven to 20, then from 20 to 50. And it always, you know, the, the, the move is always, you know, the, you feel the same struggle, right? Because you're always basically doubling yourself. It doesn't matter if you're adding 20 people or you're adding three people, you'll, you're basically doubling the team. Um, I think the two things that we really kept in mind throughout the way was a 
um, making sure that we don't kind of create barriers uh, between us and other people in the team. If you understand that you're weak at something, if you're not a good marketer, for example, and you understand that, okay, you have two co-founders, one of them is doing tech, the other is doing product, um, and you want to be, you want to bring a VP marketing, you can't start creating that barrier of, okay, we're co-founders. Um, you're, you're going to do marketing, but you're not, you're not really um, in the same place. If you want to bring people that are involved as much as you are, you have to bring them into the discussion table. Um, and the second thing is, you know, it's, it's kind of the same with, with fundraising. I think that people should have a lot more, um, guts when it comes to hiring good talent. Uh, there is kind of a notion um, that if you start hiring, you know, B players, they'll hire C players, then D players, and so <laughs> forth. And you really need to aim for that A player. Uh, the issue is when you're three people, or even when you're 10 or you're 15, you're always going for that next level person. And you don't really understand how to approach him or her. Um, and in that case is, you know, my recommendation is always just go for it. Just cold email people. If you don't know anybody cold email people, um, you know, find where those people are, but don't be afraid. Don't just assume that, you know, if you have a business and right now you need the VP marketing of Airbnb, send him or her an email, um, hmm. see if you can get him and her before you just go for the next, next next closest thing um, because that's the sort of talent that you need. Perfect. Um, sounds a great point. And Paul, would you like to add something? Uh, what is your experience? Yeah. Um, going from the founders. Now, how many people do you have at, at this uh, stage have, on, on your business? Uh, we have 110 people uh, split between uh, Manila and Jakarta. The majority of them are in Manila. Um, I think, you know, what I'll add uh, in terms of uh, our own experiences scaling, um, I think the hardest part uh, about scaling is scaling uh, the culture. Um, what do I mean uh, by that? You know, when you're an early stage uh, startup, you know, when you're often less kind of than 50 people uh, and, and you're op often just operating in one room, uh, you see each other. Uh, you're often uh, able, I think this is one of the things that makes startups special is you're, you're often uh, able to build a very special, uh, unique uh, culture uh, within an organization just because of the proximity of, of people uh, that, are, that you're working with and, and the frequency that you're having uh, to interact with them. Um, you know, as you kind of grow a company, um, that uh, frequency of interaction with everybody, uh, the proximity uh, begins to change. And, and we saw it firsthand, uh, particularly when we grew from about 50 to 100 employees uh, in a seven month period. Um, uh, you know, uh, uh, Yali was mentioning something about, you know, getting the best. Uh, one of the things that I kind of prided myself on was um, interviewing everybody, uh, sometimes even being the first interview of people just because I, I wanted to get a sense of, of fit and culture uh, very early on. And, and, you know, to be honest, I wasn't sure my team uh, could kind of recruit at the, the same level uh, that I could. It was very hard to do that when we were scaling from 50 uh, to 100 because it took us about two and a half years to scale to 50. And then to kind of double that in a six to eight month period 
that was the first time that we brought on a, a kind of a recruiter and actually had to manage a recruitment process. And I think it, it was there that, you know, we in, in chasing speed and growth just made some very small sacrifices around, um, you know, just, you know, maybe someone that we may have not hired uh, before um, uh, because we weren't in, in, in such a hurry or need it would have been someone that we would have hired. And I think that had a dramatic uh, impact in culture because, you know, when you have 50, 60, 70 people, it only just takes one person to mess everything up, right? Uh, you could do a great job curating everyone up until that point, but, you know, one person, was, one mishire uh, can, can certainly mess up a culture. And I think that that is the, the biggest challenge about scaling that I've experienced is your culture, you know, when you're going from 50 to 100, we're not a startup anymore uh, because a startup fundamentally doesn't know what it's trying to do. It doesn't know what problem it solves. It doesn't have product market fit. Uh, once you have product market fit, once you have a repeatable business, you still want to have the kind of ethos and, and mindset of a startup, but you need to start thinking like a company. You need to have standardized processes. Uh, you need to have things, systems. Uh, you need to have things that can be uh, repeatable because that's the only way you're going you're gonna, to uh, scale. And that is a change in culture. It, that will drive existing employees away who wanted the more freewheeling, unstructured style. It'll attract certain people that want a little bit more of the predictability and, and stability of a, of a fast-growing company versus an early uh, stage startup. And I think it's only in retrospect that I kind of see firsthand how a culture has to both grow and adapt because it can't be the same while also maintaining the things that made the culture of a company unique, weird, and special. Good. You guys, uh, just writing down uh, some notes at, at the same time. I would like also to be uh, on the obvious side <laughs> some of these moments. But uh, yeah, and um, Yali, I, I really feel that uh, I talk about uh, aligning the life plan with, with the business plan. And um, sometimes the, the founders get out of the corporate world to start up their own initiatives. And when they get to 50, as your case, or to 100, uh, in the case of Paul, they start feeling that they need to start building some rules, some bureaucracy, uh, formalizing a little bit more the strategy. And it seems that there is a conflict between the life plan and the business plan at this stage. So I didn't create this to create rules, to have bureaucracy again in the company. Did you ever feel it uh, already in your company, any conflict between the life plan and, and the business plan? And, and by the way, maybe some of the founders would also like a lot marketing, as you said, and maybe they will realize that at this stage of the company, the company needs a professional VP of marketing and maybe the founder needs to go to another position and to start being part of the leadership team. And it's not the leadership team, it's not the founding team only uh, as you talk in, in the beginning. So uh, how, how do you manage these shifts between the life plan ego and the business plan and what the business needs? Uh, we try and just ignore the ego. I think the, 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 hardest, <laughs> the, the hardest thing I ever had to uh, deal with was my co-founders. Um, because it's, you know, everything else is easy. Um, but you're basically, you went on this journey with two people, um, that, you know, you thought that you knew and regardless of how much you knew them up to that point, from that point on, it just becomes, you know, it's, it's a ride. Um, and you know, 
if you're lucky enough, what you find out is throughout, because, you know, you start out with this kind of shared vision. And as you progress and you encounter more and more problems, you understand that you're really different people. Um, and if you're lucky enough, um, instead of trying to fight off each other, you feed off uh, each other's, um, um, you know, better qualities. Uh, so there's, there's actually an, a very kind of common model um, for organizational consulting, uh, which is called the PAEI model. Uh, I'm sure that uh, you guys are familiar with it, but it basically states that, you know, each one of you would have kind of this strong element of being a producer, an administrator, an entrepreneur, or an integrator. Um, it was very lucky for us, you know, that one of us was an administrator. Um, and, you know, when we just started out, when we were, you know, three to four people, it really kind of annoyed us all of the processes that he put in place for everything. You wanted to get a glass of water, there was a process for it. You wanted to kind of release the version, there was a process for it. Um, and as we grew, we realized that we were very lucky for it uh, because suddenly those processes uh, came in handy. Um, so we, we never had that issue, uh, you know, very lucky for us because you know, every time um, that we hired a new set of people, I think that the nicest thing we ever had was that they felt this was the processes were better than the company that they came from before, even if it was a huge company. We had a clear onboarding process. We had a clear kind of task uh, force for everything and how decisions are made and how everyone can contribute. Uh, it was all very open. Um, and, um, we recently had this kind of, uh, encounter when we said, okay, we kept saying, you know, um, we were always, you know, behaving like we were a 50, uh, person company. Um, and that really helped us when we were 20, 30, 40, and suddenly we hit 50 and we were like, okay, now we need to find out how this company looks like a hundred person company. So when we reach those 60, 70, 80, 90 people, um, they feel the same thing. Um, so we try and always prepare ourselves in advance and not kind of hit the wall and then start thinking, um, you know, what's next? And I know a lot of the times it feels like it's unnecessary, but you're going to thank yourself later if you pre-prep for that uh, before. It's a, it's a very good point. Um, usually when you are already scaling, there is no time to prepare and uh, the organization can almost implode for excess of demand. That us it's usually the problem of a startup, which is lack of demand and lack of product market fit. So excess of product market fit, if we can uh, call it, can also kill the company uh, if we are not able to run the, the new uh, machine. So. Paul, I'm sure that uh, in that uh, amazing and epic six to seven months where when you doubled the company again, it seemed that your infrastructure uh, got completely, um, you know, out of control. So how do you assure, how do you transform your org chart in the way that you, maybe you needed to, to move again people from some seats to another seats. So how did you manage all this chaotic process 
of uh, having so many so so much people joining the company and keeping the culture uh you know it it, it certainly kind of wasn't easy um but before I answer, I'll, I'll kind of add a couple of things regarding. Of course, uh, with pleasure. That question that uh, you asked uh, Yali, you know, around roles and life plan. You know, one of the great things that I so building a startup in the Philippines is not a common thing. So culturally, um, the the way that you know, I, I used to work at Google in Silicon Valley. Uh, I used to work, you know, in in the San Francisco kind of tech scene. So. I come from a very different mindset and I'm trying to do something that is often or has never been done uh, in the Philippines, which is building tech startups from the ground up. So kind of culturally, uh, it was actually uh, very, very challenging um, among some of the things that I mentioned. But I I think one of the things that I I learned is um, great people, when you work with great, you know, people, great people in the Philippines, they want roles. Right, they want structure. They want organization. They crave it because they want to do a great job for you and for the company. It's the people that are the B players that they, they like the the lack of structure because they can kind of get under the get on get under the the radar. Um, and and so I think being able to build a culture where, where people crave and want you to um, build the infra around them so that they can do a better and better job. I think is 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 hopefully something that you know a, a startup and a company can can get to because then then you have a culture that's kind of self reinforcing. It's not just dependent on you know what Paul or the founders kind of should do. It's the people at the ground up who are kind of saying, "Hey, we need a better CRM because the one that we have is crap, and I'm I'm not able to be productive. We need to evaluate kind of other things." Or you know you know this manager is clearly not not cutting it. Um, you know, we need a we need someone better that can coach us or, or manage us. I think we've been able to build a a culture, you know, where we have a lot of young Filipinos, you know, who have never kind of worked in a startup or never, you know, been outside of the Philippines. Um, kind of caring so much about the company that they they want many of the things that you know may you know if you're just a worker at a company uh, and have never been part of a startup journey, you know, it it may be weird to want to crave uh, order or rules or, or, or structure in a company. Um, so I think that, that, you know, I think that's uh, one of the things that I wanted to, I, you know, to answer the question around, um, you know, how uh, do you do it? I think um, we had just raised a series A, so we raised $7 million uh, to date. And I think, you know, post series A, you want to kind of, you know, run out of, uh, run out of the gate running very, very strong, re- really being able to build, uh, and grow the momentum that you raised a, a Series A with, because a, a Series A is kind of um, it's you you have you know some um, some track record that you can begin to scale your product market fit. You don't necessarily have a, a business yet because you may not have great margins, you may not have the best unit economics, but you have kind of the the elements that um, th- there's a, a business kind of to be had here and i think what you're trying to do then is trying to create a lot more of that validation so for us it was how can we get more enterprise uh enterprises on board and specifically how can you get um uh, more enterprise uh, subscriptions on board you know and i think you know it was kind of in chasing that growth that you know i I realized you know being able to you know scale a say a sales team you know from three to five people to 20 to 25 people, um, that's a skill set that many people in the Philippines just don't have. Um, and to do it 
in uh, where you're selling enterprise software. It's like two or three people in the Philippines that had that. We made uh, compromises just because we couldn't find the people here. And I think it was in making those compromises that we had challenges in, in really scaling. So, you know, uh, to Yali's point earlier, like you cannot sacrifice, you know, uh, a B plus, there's a big difference between a B plus player and an A uh, player. Uh, and I kind of saw that at first hand. So, you know, kind of, you know, as a founder, CEO, I mean, I mean Dexter, you, 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 you have to make sure you're reacting, not just to the metrics, but to what the people in your organization are, are saying. I think in, in our case, it was pretty clear that the, the person that we had in that role uh, wasn't set up to, to really lead it to where we wanted to go. And so we, we, we did a big leadership change while we were scaling that sales team. So that, that was also quite, quite difficult, but um, still here. Perfect. Uh, that's great. That's why you are Scalap Heroes. Um, <laughs> Yali, um, so um, something that we, we have discussed until now that uh, uh, assuring that having the right people on the right spots or the people side of the business is really important. Um, of course, formalizing the strategy and having everyone, everyone aligned is also important. But then execution is... Uh, uh, is critical and having a kind of a culture of accountability and having a set of meeting rhythms or mechanisms that assure your execution. So how how strong is the execution uh, on your company and how is it related with the culture? And is there any kind of daily stand-ups, weekly meetings, monthly meetings, quarterly meetings? How do you structure your um, rhythms in the company? Uh, is, is that Are they informal? Are they formal? So, um, yeah, let, let us know a little bit more about how, how do we assure execution. Um, so it's, it's an ever-changing kind of, you know, we grew from in the last three years from a company who's uh, onboarding probably like 2,000 uh, new accounts per month to right now we're onboarding probably half, half a million new accounts per month. Um, and, um, you know, you can't run, uh, in the same way, um, throughout that process. So the only thing that probably stay the same is, uh, when we started the company, uh, um, I, I used to do marketing, um, my two co-founders, one is doing tech, the other, uh, was doing product. And at the end of every week, we would, um, we didn't want to interrupt each other working. Um, but then every Thursday we would kind of sync and we would call it a team meeting. Um, and that team meeting kind of sticked with us. Uh, it's just more people right now. Um, but otherwise, you know, it's, it's really about, and, and, and I'm going back to what Paul said before, um, it's really about educating people to find their own way of doing this. If people follow the same guidelines that we used when we were working, the three of us, it wouldn't work right now. So I can tell you with all honesty, I don't know what the daily routines are in the majority of the company because the tech team has its own routine and my marketing team has its own routine and my product team has its own routine. And furthermore, you know, we want to bring people in that we believe that they are grownups. Uh, and that, you know, they know how to manage their time. So if I start saying everybody needs to come to work at 9 a.m. 
and have this stand up, this might not be the best way to get, you know, the most out of certain people. Um, and the marketing team, you know, knows how to deal with its own kind of structure of people. But then the marketing team suddenly grows. And suddenly, you know, you have an organic team there and, a, you know, a, a paid team. And maybe it's no longer time to have this market, weekly marketing meeting because nobody is getting anything out of it. So I think what I'm trying to get at is that you shouldn't, you know, fear change. Um, that's the first thing. You should start with whatever is working for you, okay? And then trust the people that you're bringing in to do whatever it is that works for them. Don't enforce any of your own regimes. And try and focus it down to KPIs or OKRs or whatever it is that you want to work by, but then only have that in mind. If somebody, you know, comes in middle of the night, you know, and you're a morning person and you always believe that, you know, a hard working person should be, uh, should be in for work every day at 9 a.m. Okay, maybe that's true. But at the end of the month, if he, you know, if he hit all of his goals, then maybe he's doing something right. So find a way to actually measure what it is that you're looking for and drop everything else. Everything else doesn't matter. If somebody in one of the team needs help in structuring, then I can come in and help. But I would never enforce what I believe is right. I would try and understand how his team, his or her team is structured and how do you build something around that to get the most out of people? Very interesting point. Um, the, the org chart of the present or the future, the, the team of teams and letting everyone to be autonomous. And it's much easier to scale a bunch of companies than just one company that too, with too much sales. And Paul, uh, what, what do you think about, about this point and what's your, what's your perspective? Yeah, I mean, you know, again, Yali, good point. Like, if Yali knew what his marketing team was doing right now, his company hasn't scaled. Um, um, I don't know the rhythms of my marketing company, uh, how our, 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 you know, kind of the, the push cycle on the development side, the product development life cycle. Three to four years ago, it was something that I was very innately uh, involved in. Uh, but now that we have uh, kind of VPs, uh, directors, and or managers, um, I think we ha we've created a, a operating culture, but then it's up to kind of those individual leaders to then develop their own, um, not, not management framework, but how they'd like to operate their teams. Um, we like to, to kind of hope that we do a great job at the, the re recruitment uh, side and kind of, uh, you know, we, we're bringing, you know, leaders uh, with integrity uh, certainly the, the work experience and the skills, but we kind of give them the autonomy to kind of build and manage uh, that team um, fairly independently. And I think, you know, great eight people uh, crave and, and kind of want that autonomy. Uh, that, that's why they're kind of there in the first place. Um, you know, I think for us, um, for me, I, I don't like meetings. Dexter loves meetings. Um, so, um, I try to be in as few structured meetings as possible. Um, my style is more of a one-on-one -on -one style. So within our, our company culture, we have a very strong kind of one-on-one -on -one, uh, culture where if we, if, if we need to talk about something, let's kind of just talk about it right now. Or we have very structured uh, one-on-ones kind of 
at the CEO to director level, CEO to COO, my, my co-founder, even me uh, to small groups, uh, uh, kind of entry level uh, salespeople. Uh, we have an open door policy, uh, kind of our office is all glass. So everyone can see in the company what me and Dexter are doing. We're taking a nap on the couch and the door is generally open. And, you know, I think, you know, in the Philippines, uh, it's often a closed door culture. It's very hierarchical. You know, you never see the CEO, you never see the boss. You're never involved in the planning kind of process. We're trying to flip the switch uh, in the Philippines because, uh, you know, I think uh, what technology companies, you know, have, have shown is there's a, 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 a different and potentially uh, interesting and better way to build and scale companies. And it's not a model that exists in the Philippines. And I think what we're trying to do with the 100 people that, that we have is hopefully one day they can then build 100 startups um, and they now have a relevant set of experiences, you know, directly threaded from experiences that I've had at Google and Silicon Valley that they can now bring uh, to a country like the Philippines, which, you know, as of a few years ago, wasn't a, you know, a home uh, for startups. Israel has a fraction of our population, but has a super vibrant, uh, uh, you know, probably the second most vibrant tech ecosystem in the world, right? Uh, one, one interesting fact, there's a, only a few countries in the world where Israel allows visa-free, and the Philippines is one of them. So as a Filipino, you can go into Israel uh, for 59 days uh, visa-free, and it's because the president, uh, like in the early 1930s or 40s, he, he invited uh, some refugees uh, into the, the Philippines, and I think a couple thousand of them made it, and I think that was a gesture in kind uh, to, to allow the, the visa free uh, uh, travel of Filipinos there. So uh, it's actually an interesting story. I never knew about it. Yeah. Uh, There's a monument there uh, in Israel as well. Um, I think the, the, pres the Philippines actually wanted to bring in 100,000, but there was something that blocked them. And I think they could only get eight to 10,000. And so, yeah, that it's a, uh, it's a here in the Philippines, it, uh, certainly within the Israeli community, it's something that's, that's celebrated and kind of uh, uh, honored. I think there are uh, very different issues if you look at um, where Paul is trying to scale a business. And for example, you know, whether you look at New York or Tel Aviv, um, the issue there becomes kind of there's too little people and a lot of companies that compete for that talent, right? Um, with Paul, I think that maybe the issue is more that there are a lot of people but at the same time, he needs, he, you know, he needs to understand which one of these people would be able to kind of do the jump from one mentality to something that is completely, completely different. Um, and two different challenges, both extremely hard. Yeah, I think, yeah that, that's why the, the, the context of kind of, you know, the advice, that, you know, that people are going to gain from, from this conversation, I think just you can kind of take it in, but I think understanding your own context, the country that you're building a, a startup in, um, the type of startup that you're trying to build has kind of uh, an important impact in terms of, you know, uh, whether or not our lessons will directly apply. Yeah. And, and something very interesting for um, any kind of associations or uh, institutions, governments who are trying to um, support uh, starting up our startup ecosystems is really to look to the PayPal 
uh, mafia effects. So all of them as Caleb, all of them as jumped out of PayPal and built the management team, all of them built uh, amazing unicorn companies after um, PayPal. So the impact of just one company in an economy, it's uh, fabulous. It's the 80-20 rule. So, but let's go for, for the next points. I'm sure that our audience uh, wants to learn more uh, about you before we, we conclude this show, uh, which is always the, the one of the most important topics when scaling. So growth sucks cash. And if you run out of cash, you are uh, out of business. And typically we always think that cash is an issue on the starting up stage but it can be even more difficult on the scaling up stage. Is this true? Do you feel it or this is bullshit? Yali. Um, you okay, you're yeah, on yeah. I, uh, I'm popping back in whenever I need it. Um, I, I think that, you know, cash is, is, is always an issue for people, but it's, it's mainly for Two things, um, you know, the bigger your company gets um, and if you don't run, you know, a scalable model and, and we keep, you know, we, we always think there's only one way, right, for startups. We kind of have this notion of startups needing to raise funds and funds and funds and funds. There are always the possibility of you deciding that, you know, you want to go for a break even or maybe even profitable uh company i know it's not a dirty word um you can do it uh and then the cash becomes something you know much much easier to handle i think that two of the main things that i've seen uh and, and you know it's the, the the raising cash is hard the first time the seed round uh the a round was a bit easier the b round was a bit easier but every time it's kind of hell um, and, um, I, or, you know, at least for me, I don't like it. I prefer being, being in the company and working. Um, but I think that there are two things that I would always recommend. The first thing is, you know, you're in the position of selling, um, when you're, when you're fundraising, you're basically selling, you're selling always, you're always trying to kind of tell people how great it is. And you need to be careful of not overselling to yourself as well in the process and being very mindful about when do you actually need that cash and how much cash do you actually need? Because a lot of people that I see that are kind of running out of cash midway, they simply, you know, they simply said so many times to other people that they have so much runway left that they forgot to actually look at the PL and realize that they have two months left and they need to hurry up. Um, the second thing is that, and this is something that I think that we remind ourselves from day one is don't forget to try, fail, repeat. Um, you're going to, you're going to fail. Uh, you're, you're going to fail, you know, one time or a second time or a third time. And, you know, if you don't give up enough times in the process, eventually you might make it. Uh, you have to remember it's not a statistical process we we like math uh we like uh we like looking at statistics but at the end of the day it's a binary process and when you get the money you get the money and no matter how many times you fail along the way that's the only thing that matters at that specific point 
Thanks, Yali. Paul, what's your perspective and your experience? Uh, yeah, you know, um, so we, we came out of the Y Combinator program uh, a few years ago, and uh, they definitely uh, do a great job of teaching you the art of, of fundraising, uh, particularly early stage uh, fundraising. Um, so we, we actually um, you know, were able to raise a, a pretty large seed round, $2 million when we came out of um, a YC. You know, I think, you know, for us, um, uh, fundraising uh, hasn't always been the easiest uh, just because the space that we're in, uh, HR tech, um, uh, isn't the sexiest uh, space for investors uh, to invest in uh, in Southeast Asia you know, because it's still an emerging um, kind of economy, an emerging internet economy, uh, investors have tended to invest in um, the, the building block industries. So uh, in here it's um, kind of logistics, uh, e-commerce uh, type companies um, over the last few years, uh, transportation uh, related. So, so the, those types of companies have gotten the bulk of, of the uh, attention and, and kind of the bulk of the funding. Uh, second, um, the Series A, Series B market is developing kind of, uh, the, the Series A, Series B investors are developing along with the, the startups themselves. So kind of as the startups begin to need that Series B, uh, what I'm seeing here in Southeast Asia is uh, there's kind of a the, the one to two year um, uh, head start that then the investors have had in beginning to create some liquidity for future kind of rounds of funding. So, you know, that I think that makes uh, the Southeast Asia ecosystem unique because like in, in the Valley, kind of, you know, you have the angels, the seed, series A through through G and, and all the way through an IPO kind of readily available. Uh, here, the, those later series are still being developed. Um, um, and and uh, kind of as the startups are growing. Um, if there's any one piece of advice for fundraising that I would give, it's, it's something that I learned is uh, when you're fundraising, particularly when you're doing early stage fundraising, you wanna to try to sell the dream uh, for as long as possible because uh, at some point you have to sell the metrics uh, and it becomes a very different uh, type of pitch and sell uh, then. Because if you don't have the right metrics, you're not going to be able to fundraise. Um, and it's often right between that seed and series A that you have some metrics, but maybe not all. And so you have to be really still good at selling the, the dream. But at, you know, we're raising a series B right now. It's all metrics. It, it, it's, it, it's, it, let me see the spreadsheet. Uh, the dream is exciting, but I'm investing in a business now, not necessarily just investing in a founder, which is what that angel seed kind of investors do. So, um, you know, uh, for as long as you can kind of delay that, but at some point rubber does have to uh, hit the road and, and you have to sell a business. Perfect. So thanks so much, guys. Just a, a last, uh, very last point. You have uh, done this several times already during the conversation. But uh, just to wrap up, is any advice that you'd like to give to your younger self uh, three or four years ago when you started the company? Um, Paul, maybe we start now with you and give some more time to yell at to think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, when, you know, so Caliber was the second company I started. I started when I was uh, 29 and 
you know, like many people who uh, maybe were inspired to, to start a tech company, um, you know, you, you may have been kind of inspired or had visions of grandeur. Uh, you may have kind of thought, you know, we're going to do and build something and it's, it's going to be done in three or four years. Um, if I were to give myself one piece of advice is just to be patient. Um, you know, I often hear it, it takes five to six years to build a good product, five to seven years to build a great company. Uh, we're kind of now at that year six, and I feel like we're beginning to become a, a great company. I thought we would be here three or four years ago, but you know, the fundraising conditions weren't right. The market conditions uh, just weren't right. I had to develop kind of the talent uh, to be able to solve the problems that we're doing. And you know, uh, you know, maybe early on in our process, I was maybe a little bit disappointed in myself. But you know, and looking back, I just had an unrealistic timeline. You know, the success and massive success stories that you see are kind of anomalies. The reality is, you know, most people, most entrepreneurs are are, are laying the brick, uh, brick by brick, to build that house, and that just takes uh, a bit of time. So I think if if you can kind of frame anything you do in life within a decade-long perspective, like I'm going to set these ambitious goals and you give yourself a decade-long time frame to do it, I think for most people, they will be able to do it just because you have enough runway to realistically see through that vision. So I think that's, that's what I would tell myself is be more patient. It'll come. Love um, it. Thanks, Paul. Yeah, Yali. Well, I, I agree uh, with Paul about the advice, but the truth is I wouldn't give myself uh, any advice simply because I know I wouldn't take it. Um, it's uh, one of the, uh, one of the things uh, when, you know, I started this, my first company, I started out when I was, I don't remember how old I was, uh, probably like 24 or 23. Um, and when you blink suddenly, you know, four years have passed. Um, but, um, you know, I had to make those mistakes, uh, because regardless of how many people kind of gave me the advices that I'm now kind of realizing are absolutely true, um, I wouldn't be able to take them unless you kind of wear, you, you get bruised and you wear your own cars, uh, you're not going to take anyone else advice. So, you know, patience it would come but i wouldn't take that advice i would probably kind of yell at myself and continue on forward and realize that four years later perfect so i plus so much then uh thank, thank you so much paul and Yali. it was really a great moment for me and the pleasure to moderate this session brian i'm so honored and so happy also to have you uh with us so i pass the word to you uh, yeah, so let's talk about forward. heroes. So, so Paul, I see you as Batman, and Yali, I see you as the Flash. Okay, so a couple <laughs> things that I'm thinking here, right? Um, Paul, you're in this environment that culturally is not set up to support the type of growth that you're doing, and you know, I, I feel like you have this dual personality when uh, you know you are this one-on-one -on -one and you're talking with employees, and you're you know you're you're this you're human, and then all of a sudden something goes wrong, and the bat signal signal comes up somewhere over Manila and like you just change into action and uh, you know you come across very humble but I know you're the guy that just sits there like puts on his utility belt and has a tool for everything like right <laughs> uh, one of the things that stuck out most with me uh, is that you're creating a self-reinforcing culture 
And Batman is somebody who's trying to enable the entire city with sort of fighting crime on their own. There's always lookalikes and there's other people that come out and people that pretend to be him because there's this like, I want to be Batman. So definitely I can see you as Halloween Batman this year if you need any ideas. <laughs> and then Yali, definitely the Flash because you're just moving so fast through things, but you're conscious and you're aware of those mistakes. But that is what makes you who you are is, is moving that fast. And I love the decentralized growth strategy that you have, uh, which is supported by Paul. And that if you don't truly know what your marketing team is doing, you're probably on the right path. So those are the two superheroes that I see within you. Um, <laughs> and really, if, if, uh, if you're listening, uh, what a great example of two individuals from around the world brought together under this you know, this, this Scale Up Academy. And if you want to check out more of these amazing conversations, check out scaleupacademy.io. I would say personally reach out to these people because somebody on the show said, if you want that A talent, just email cold call them directly. So now that's out on there on the table. <laughs> uh, and I even see a lot of partnership between Flash and Batman because you're both looking to recruit. You've got this recruitment tool. There's a synergy between, uh, you know, the Philippines and Israel. So man, what, what a lot of magic here. What a lot of superpowers that have happened. So I'm excited to have been a fly on the wall, but this fly writes down. And if you see, this is a lot of notes that I've taken here. So uh, it's fun to get to know you guys a little bit and hopefully we'll be connected from here and out. But again, Mike, thanks for bringing everybody together. What a great show. Thank you so much, guys. <laughs> See you Thank next you. week. All right. Have a good morning. Good day. Good night. Adios. Have a good night. Good morning. Bye, guys.